0: what's happening hardscapers this is episode 190 of the how to hardscape podcast where we talk about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business and on today's episode we are joined by paul jameson he's been featured on a couple previous episodes he hosts the green industry podcast and has a lot of different things on the go including authoring several books so we just catch up on today's episode as well as get into his social media strategy but if you need a bookkeeping cfo services an accountant on your side check out cycle cpa at cyclecpa.com or on Instagram, cycle underscore CPA, to get started with them and get $200 off when you mention how to hardscape. We'll talk more about them later in today's episode. And if you haven't been listening since the beginning of the year, we've been talking about the headquarters software, which will be available for members only on the members only platform. But we also have now hardscapewebdesign.com This is going to help you get set up with a hardscape website. It is a monthly fee and you get a beautiful looking website as well as optimizing for search engine results and quarterly reporting on our progress in getting you in those top results. So if you need a website or you want to revamp your existing website, reach out to us at hardscapewebdesign.com. And without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Today, we're joined by Paul Jameson. He is a podcaster, author, uh, Instagram star. Uh, Paul, it's been a while since you've been on the show, but you have been on two or three previous episodes. You're actually probably our most recurring guest, but it's probably been a year at least, maybe two years since you've been on the show. So, Paul, thanks again for coming on the show. Great to chat with you, Mike. Paul, uh, let's get started to get to know if, if... uh, our audience just started listening and haven't gone back to our catalog and listened to a Paul Jamison episode. Paul, who are you? Uh, what do you got going on? Just give us a little bit of insight into Paul Jamison.
1: Thanks, Mike. Well, I host a podcast that's called the Green Industry Podcast, and we actually crank out a daily episode for it's for entrepreneurs, so somebody who owns a small business, and we just talk about how we can take our businesses to the next level. So... Uh, Monday through Friday, we have a fresh new uh, podcast. And typically, I try to do in-person interviews. So I attend basically every industry trade show that I've ever heard of. I'm there with my podcast equipment trying to capture um, small business owners' stories. And what they're learning as they're building their businesses. So having an absolute blast uh, doing it.
0: Absolutely. And Paul, since we last spoke, I know you had two books actually authored which is in, uh, an incredible feat in and of its own but i know you've published uh, another book at least in a journal uh tell us a little bit about the books that you've uh, published from start to finish here and what you've got to offer
1: yeah so my first book is called cut that grass and make that cash my cousin jokes he's like he's like eight years old he's like i'm gonna go to the library and ask him, "Did they have cut that grass and make that cash <laughs> So I was like, they actually might. uh, hopefully they have it. But uh, I wanted to share my story because I started my lawn care business with zero business experience. I I didn't. I couldn't have spelled P and L. Like I I had no idea about overhead cost recovery, about saving for your, uh, federal and state taxes, and all all the things that like you're like, well, duh. I didn't know any of that stuff. And so my first few years in business was. I wasn't even at Chuck in the truck status. I was, uh, it, it was bad. And so, um, I went from there though, and my business actually did turn a profit, did become successful and I got to have some kind of celebrity, uh, clients over the years. And so it, it was kind of a dramatic turnaround. And I wanted to share that story. I share it on the podcast all the time, but I wanted to kind of write it down. And so I wrote it, my story in a book called cut that grass and make that cash. Then a lot of critics were saying, well, there's, it's all, all you talked about is your story, but we want like the the A to Z um meat and potatoes, like tell us the the blueprint to building a lawn care business. So then I wrote a new book called 101 Proven Ways to Increase Efficiency and Make More Money in Lawn Care, which is n- no stories and just bullet points, literally one through 101 to um kind of just share like. Really uh, practical things like sharpen your lawnmower blades for a for a sharp cut, like things like that that are so practical and tactical. Uh, so that was that book, and I also did a third one called Best Business Practices for Landscapers that highlighted success that I've seen from people I've interviewed on my podcast. Uh, a hardscaper we featured in the book was Andy Mulder um, because he's built an impressive um, business and family, and I wanted to highlight that. And uh, Brian Fullerton's a long guy, but I I featured him in my book and talked about uh, goal setting and things of that nature. So that book's more about the success of others. So I've kind of rounded all three of those out. And eventually I'm going to have a revised and expanded to cut that grass to make that cash with an emphasis on knowing your numbers, um, which I've found for my audience is like one of the biggest pain points alongside with what you recently mentioned about finding employees. So listening to my audience over the years, I think the two biggest struggles that small business owners have today is understanding the business part of the business and then actually finding someone who's going to show up.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And uh, having said that, I know also at an event coming up online, you're actually going to be speaking, which is also another uh, great feat in and of itself. Do you want to uh, talk a little bit about what you're going to be speaking about and everything like that?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to be speaking about how to get reoccurring customers. So I'll give you my my notes to the speech. (laughs) So hopefully it'll turn out all right. I I think speaking on stage is more fun for me because you can see people. And so like, it's a live event, but like speaking to a webcam just doesn't get me all fired up like a live event. But nevertheless, I'm excited and very grateful uh, to be a part of this event. So I'm gonna share about um, how do you get a repeat customer? Well, number one, you need to do a great job. If you don't do a good job, <laughs> they're not going to get repeat work. So you got to wow them with excellent work. From there, you need to communicate and let them know that you offer the other services that you offer. And then my third point is you need to market. So you need to know how to do email marketing. You need to you need to know how to upsell and cross sell your services. So that's my um, bullet point. Three things I'm going to share at the event is learn how to market, upsell, cross sell, make sure you know how to communicate to your customers on the front end of everything that you can do to serve them. And then number one is you got to do a good job or otherwise they're not going to want to rehire you. So
0: having been, uh, an owner operator yourself with uh, lawn care, you grew a business that I know we've talked about on this podcast before, where you had, uh, the specific clientele that you seem to actually wanted to attract. Um, was that purposeful when you were growing your business to attract that clientele and to grow your business with that clientele? And, uh, what, what did that do for you, yourself, your business as you continued to grow that way?
1: Yeah. So I would like to give the sophisticated answer, Mike, that it was purposeful. Um, it was, uh, luck or fate or blessed or whatever word you want to use to say you're the luckiest guy ever, whatever. So what happened was my buddy and he wasn't my buddy. He is, I lived in this apartment complex. No, nothing to be impressive about. I don't know if you follow. Do you follow NBA
0: basketball? I do not.
1: Okay. Unless well,
0: the Raptors are winning.
1: Okay. Well, there. This has nothing to do with what you asked me. But Allen Iverson, the basketball player, lived in my apartment complex because he blew his two hundred million dollars he made in the NBA. He's living in an apartment. But anyway, it wasn't even a nice apartment. It's just a regular run of the mill apartment complex. And there was this fellow that lived there. I don't think he even had a job. He seemed like kind of a deadbeat or whatever. His name is Vic. And one day I, I come home from work. I'm all sweaty, dirty. You know, I drove a Ford F-150 and, and and Vic's just sitting there smoking a cigarette. He's like, hey, can you help me move a couch? And I'm thinking I'm trapped because I, I lived on the top floor. So I got to walk past Vic to get to my apartment and I'm not doing nothing. He saw that I'm just came home from work. So reluctantly, I felt trapped that I had to say yes, that I could help him move his couch. So I thought he meant let's move it in his apartment. You know what I mean? So I was like, okay. And so he's all right. Hop in my car. He had, I think he had like a Toyota Corolla that hadn't been cleaned in five years. It's so sketchy looking. So we get in his raggedy car and and he starts driving. I'm thinking, is he going to like kidnap me or whatever? And the next thing, you know, we arrive at one of the nicest neighborhoods in Atlanta. The Matt Ryan was our quarterback at the time when he was good um, football player. He lived in there. Little Bow Wow lived in there. Um, All these rap. I don't know if you guys are into hip hop or whatever, but that. The famous people lived in here, the um, all kind of famous people live in this neighborhood. And I had heard about it, but I've never, you know, had access. You have to go through a security guard um, to let you in. So we go in this fancy neighborhood. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, look at all these mansions. And so we get to his sister's house and the couch was actually at his sister's house. He didn't tell me that wisely because I would have told him no. So we get to his sister's house. And I have no etiquette. So I just blurt out and say, hey, who takes care of your lawn? And she's like, oh, whoever, he's not doing a good job, whatever. It's like, oh, what? give me a shot. You know, give me that pat. I'll make it. Look. I just sold. I just pitched her, sold her, gave her my card. Lo and behold, she called me. And she happened to be a real estate agent in the neighborhood. So I did a good job for her. Word of mouth. She started referring me to other people in the neighborhood. I So I, anyway, I picked up 8, 9, 10 yards pretty quickly in this really fancy neighborhood as I I guess they call it the, uh, the imposter syndrome. I was an imposter. I I didn't know. I didn't, I wasn't ready for this caliber of work. You know, like these people had infinity pools and and tennis courts and lakes in their backyard. Like very nice houses. I literally picked up this yard and um, they had like a separate house connected to the house for the tennis court. Like I'm, I'm out there mowing the grass. Like, how did I get here? Whatever. So I'm out there figuring it out on the fly. And it just so happened that one of the next door neighbors was the Atlanta Falcons defensive coordinator. I picked up that property and then I started from there. I did start learning how to actually do a good job and figure it all out. And um, then I just started the Atlanta Falcons, our NFL football team. I started doing a whole bunch of the the head coach, the defense coordinator, the captain, a bunch of the players and coaches. And um, it was not by purpose or design or marketing strategy. It was, I was at the right place at the right time to say the least. So.
0: Gotcha. And then having said that, what, what was the difference in the client mindset in um, not just like the hands-on properties differences, but the actual clients themselves, what was the difference between those clients and the clients that you were serving before then?
1: Yeah. So the, the one percenters, the, the, the really rich people, and they're all different. So they're not, some of them are very kind and 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 um humble and some of them are arrogant and I don't I didn't really like being around them. But um one guy had a Ferrari and a Lamborghini in his garage stacked on top of each other because he only had a three-car garage. He had this car thing that you stack cars on, and I'd like look, yeah, I'd be trimming the hedges like an extra long time, just like looking through the window into his garage, like that's crazy. And so um those folks, money's not the issue. So convenience is the issue, professionalism, that they can trust you to be on their property. Um, They don't ask, like, what's the price? Like, they're going to price shop you. It's just like, who's going to do a good job? Like, highest quality, reputable guy kind of gets it. So by the time I started doing the Falcons, I had stepped up my game tremendously and and learned to wear khaki pants and a golf shirt tucked in. And, like, I I didn't have, um, you know a t-shirt on that was on top. Like I was, I looked very professional and I acted professional and I did professional work. So I think that's what brought the longevity is, is doing a professional job. And I remember at back in the day, I was doing a hundred dollar off. If you referred me to another client and I literally had um, the football coach kind of chewed me out. He's like, enough of this a hundred dollar S H I T. He's like, we're paying you full price and just do a good job. You know, darn it. And like, he'd cuss at me, but like, because they were they were thinking, if I gave them a discount, I wasn't going to do a good job. They wanted to pay me what I thought I was worth because they wanted a good job. They weren't they weren't trying to save a dollar. They wanted good work. so it was it was a big paradigm shift for me, like bring your a game and do a good job type thing,
0: yeah. And uh, you did mention that not all of them are the same, and some are humble, some are arrogant. When it comes to having taken on one of those clients, how how do you figure that out? How did you go about discerning whether or not like they were in one of those two categories and whether or not they were a client that you want to service or a client that you didn't want to service? Or did you go about it where, you know what, you're in that area, you're going to sign everybody up. And since you're a recurring service. You're actually just going to vet them that way. Once they sign up, you're going to figure it out as you go and cut the ones that you need to. What was your sort of process on all of this in terms of vetting your clients?
1: Yeah. So pretty much the vetting process was they had to live in this one particular neighborhood because what one of my mentors, as I started getting these breakthroughs, he's like, Jameson, you need to come in through the gate at 8 a.m. and you don't leave until the afternoon, you know, late afternoon, but you don't leave the gates of this neighborhood all day. You, you pack your lunch, he's like you don't do any business outside of this gate, because to to get into that, and I'm sure Toronto has the neighborhood. You know, I don't know where Drake lives or whoever, but like, there's a neighborhood in every city like this where it's where the richest people in the in the area live. And if you can get in that neighborhood, you don't want to leave that neighborhood to go service somewhere else. So that was my vetting process. If a new customer called me and they lived in that neighborhood, I hopped on it because really all I needed to do, uh, shout outs to Jobber, I get their card on file. And I'd explain to them, it's we'll charge it on the first of the month, this amount for these services, and then we'll charge extra for your seasonal flowers. We do begonias in the spring, we do pansies in the fall, we do you know pine straw or mulch, you know, in the spring. And I, I just tell them the program, and you know, without fail, I learned this from the Lawn Care Millionaire from uh, Service Autopilot that you had to get a card on file. And so, really, once I got their card on file, months would go by before I would talk, you know, talk to them. It would just be a simple text like. Hey, we're doing seasonal flowers. Do you want pink and purple or pink and purple? Do you want purple and yellow? Don't do pink and purple. I, I do uh, yellow and purple, but um, I shoot them a text like that. And they say, yeah, we're down. I'm like, okay, you need X amount of flats. It'll be this price. We'll just charge your card on file. Boom. So even if they were arrogant and I didn't like them, it, it was not too much different because I was just getting their card on file and I was doing what I was saying I need to do. And there was really little communication that needed to be done once I was in. And the ones that I did like, you know, when they would drive by and wave and bring me a sweet tea, you know, an Oreo or whatever. I, I, I enjoyed those little communications with the customers, but um, I didn't discriminate. I, I served the people that I didn't like and I served the people that were very kind. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not like hardscaping where you're back and forth, back and forth where you probably need to really talk to them a lot. It's like, there's what we're going to do to maintain your, your property and you really only need to communicate very sporadically, so...
0: I just want to take a break from today's episode to talk about our sponsor, Cycle CPA. You may have a CRM or project management software in place, but what data are you using to ensure your estimating is accurate? Having a proper accounting setup and accurate bookkeeping done is key to understanding overhead expenses and other costs that must be recouped in your estimates. Cycle CPA is a remote bookkeeping and CFO firm. That helps to connect the dots from the financial reports to the hardscape and landscape data needed in order to reach high profits. They provide landscape and hardscape industry benchmarking, job costing financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. Cycle CPA's team of accountants are specialized within the hardscape and landscape industry. And you can visit them at CycleCPA.com. And for $200 off, mention the How to Hardscape podcast. Now back to our episode. Did you ever have a a horror story during that time? And this is a question that I like to ask every business owner. Because with uh, owning and operating a business, typically comes those times where uh, you're in a situation that you don't want to be in. and You got to get through it. And uh, so a horror story from that time in servicing those clients where... Uh, something happened, whether that was with payments ongoing basis or something on a property that uh, you wish you probably wish it didn't happen.
1: Yeah, my biggest mistake uh, was I did I did warranty sod, which afterwards I never warranty sod anymore. I take a picture of it being green when we put it in, and and it's your responsibility. And I triple communicate this to the client. It's your responsibility to um, maintain the sod once we put it in, because in Atlanta, it can be 90 degrees Fahrenheit and higher for multiple days in a row. And if you don't water that grass twice a day, it's going, it is going to dry out and die. And so I had planted sod for a gentleman, and he put pressured me. He's like, you're going to warranty it, right? You're going to warranty it, right? And I had never done a big sod job before. It was over, I think it was 10 pallets or 11 pallets. This is the biggest sod job of my life. And I really wanted it and I really needed the money. I was broke at the time, desperate, which is a bad, bad ingredient as a business owner. You make dumb decisions when you're broke and desperate. But I was. And so I was like, of course, it's of course. Cause I just I needed to get that big job because I needed a a shot of cash flow. And um, so I got the job, I warrantied it, didn't think anything of it, put the grass in, perfectly green, lush, beautiful. And lo and behold, this guy didn't water it enough. And I was so busy, I wasn't checking in on it. And then I get the call, hey, my grass is dying. And, and then I, she lo- it, it was. And he's like, you said you're going to warranty. I want to fix now. And this guy was a jerk. Oof. So I, re- I pulled all the grass out. 10 pallets is a ton. Hauled that away, brought 10 new pallets. And now I'm in the red on the job. And we put it in this time. Then we have a literal historic drought in Georgia. Like record-breaking, doesn't rain for how many days, super hot. And there's water restrictions of how long you can water. It dies a second time, which was completely his fault. He did not water enough and he was blaming it all, whatever. Puts the pressure on me. It's like, you got to make this right. He was so mean. I mean, we were like getting like uh chewy. I want to chew him out, but he chewed me out like to my face. Like he's ready to throw down and beat me up. He was a big guy too. So then, literally a third time, I put the sod in. I lost so much money on that job. It was Zoysia sod too, which is the most expensive. And he lived on this hill. You couldn't uh, even wheelbarrow the sod back because down the the stairs you had to carry like one roll at a time. Oof. It it was the worst job of my life, financially, emotionally, every aspect of life. I I was a grown grown man, Mike, in his backyard crying. Like I'm yeah, not I'm man. not gonna be ashamed. I. I was shedding tears because I had all these other people calling me who would have paid gladly paid me a profitable rate to do work. And I was sitting here three times putting in, you know, 30 pallets of sod losing so much money, but I learned a valuable lesson that I'm not going to ever warranty a living organism in our climate. Like they're going to have to be responsible to water. And of course I explained that to them. If it dies, it's on you. And I always take a picture, um, of it being alive when I put it in, so they can't say, "Well, you planted it and it was dead." No, I got proof. So,
0: well, that's a great story to share too, and uh, for people to understand that, Paul, you've released well over a thousand episodes now. How many episodes are you on in Green Industry Podcast? Green,
1: green Industry, we're at eight ninety-ish somewhere. Oh, in there. okay.
0: So I thought I thought you were closing in on that thousand. We we should hit that this spring. So spring, gotcha, gotcha. So uh, close to a thousand episodes, that means you got a lot of people that you've spoken with Uh, through that time. uh, What are some things that have really stood out to you that you've interviewed people, whether that's guests that you've had on that uh, maybe it was just their mindset that really stuck with you or certain things that guests have said along the way. But what are those sticking points as uh, you close in on that one thousand episode mark?
1: Yeah. So I think the elephant in the room in our industry is leadership. It's so hard to find blue collar workers to go out and work in the elements, you know, the cold of your country, the heat of living in the south here in the USA. And the the fact of the matter is, it's hard to motivate people to go work outside, do backbreaking manual work, not literally backbreaking. You know what I mean? It's tough. Yeah. on the hardscaping side i'm sure it's difficult but on the the lawn mowing side and the landscaping side i mean it is tough to sell that and so what i've picked up on with people that i've interviewed that have built teams i'm talking multiple crews multiple teams i find that interesting of of how do you incentivize that foreman to stay with you that that crew leader to to want to work for you so Those have always stuck out to me because I do some one-on-one coaching on the side and guys are calling me like, you know, so-and-so quit last week because of this. And like, I don't know what to do. And it's like, it happens so frequently. So I always appreciate a a guest who's built a good culture that has stability. You're not going to always have perfect uh, retention. There's going to be attrition. It's inevitable, but there's folks out there that have really figured it out. Um Jay Jacobs comes to mind in Illinois. He's got multiple crews. And some of these people are in college and he knows and they know they're just going to be working for the summer. But I actually have a picture of Jay Jacobs uh, crew on my refrigerator. He's got like 12 people, they're quality folks and, and they've built a really good business with a really good team that wants to work there. And so interviewing guys like that that have figured out the leadership component, I think has added a lot of value uh, to anyone who listens. And then on the business side of things, I'm always interested. And, and there's a phrase that I've probably, I've done over 800, close to 900 episodes. Probably it happens on every episode, but we'll say like 80% to play it safe. Someone will mention, know your numbers, know your numbers. and And people are like rolling their eyes, like we get it, know your numbers. But it's like, The reason these guys keep saying that is because, and you mentioned this on my podcast, Mike, you're not a numbers guy or a math guy. As business owners, it doesn't matter if we like the math class and if we like addition and subtraction and uh, multiplication and division. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. You have to understand how to read a profit and loss statement. You have to understand your break even. When you leave the door, go out the door in the morning, you need to know, I have to make this much money today to just break even. Like you got to... Be intentional to figure this stuff out. So, I always appreciate guests and I try to have more and more on. I have a certified financial planner, Sheila, that's been coming on the guests more frequently who understands tax implications. I have my bookkeepers, Megan and Joey, coming on the show more frequently, who literally I meet with once a month to go over my profit and loss statement, statement of cash flows, balance sheet. Like when I started out my business, I didn't know the difference between you know, a profit and a loss and a statement of cash flows and a balance sheet. And like, um, and and it was so hard to find like someone who would explain it to me simply, like, not talk like some educated scholar, but someone who could be like, okay, here's how we understand this, Paul. And and like, um, so anyway, I appreciate guests like that 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 have a heart of a teacher who are able to explain these kind of complex matters and make them very simple of of how to save your business taxes routinely, so that I know Canada is probably different than America, and even in USA, California is different than Florida. But all of us have to be setting money aside to pay those accurately and and in full on time. And so, having guests come on talk about all that stuff has really stood out to me. So,
0: I've heard episodes before where you're interviewing a, a company. That's not a lawn care service provider, like an equipment company or this company, that company. And uh, a a topic that comes to mind that plays off what you just said there is how they actually inspire their employees to buy into the company to create that company culture and it's a little bit different what, what are some things that you think the green industry as a whole can borrow from these established companies these uh, equipment companies or software companies that you know, their their employees just seem so bought into the idea of spreading awareness of this company to, because of the value that they're providing and so on and so on. What can we as green industry business owner operators borrow from these companies to implement into our business to create that buy-in? And I ask also for myself because I'm also trying to work on this too.
1: Yeah, I just listened to a good audio book called Vivid Vision, and I think of Kubota So they're huge here in in Atlanta, Georgia, because one of their manufacturing plants employs like 3,000 local people here. And my friend Beth, um, shout out to Beth Stanford, um, she is a marketing manager at Kubota. She just celebrated three years at Kubota. She posted on LinkedIn today, like three, you know, she's just praising Kubota. Like she is thrilled to get to work there and be a part of hashtag Kubota country. And like she's pinching herself that she gets to work there. And I view that versus if somebody works on landscaping business for three years, they don't have that excitement and gratitude and, and and appreciation to be a part of that culture. So, what does Kubota have that maybe a a, a basic lawn care business doesn't have? And I've been—they actually took me to their plant. I got to see it, and I got you know I got to kind of sense that culture a little bit. And I think number one they have a high quality product. So Kubota is super proud of their tractor and their competitor John Deere is as well. I think I have friends that work for John Deere and it's the same. They're, and now their competitors like, oh, we're better, we're better. But they both are proud of their tractor, their lawnmower. Kohler engines, I got their hat on, shout out to Kohler. They are so proud of their engine and their um, culture. And like an, an echo, with their power equipment and Toro. And I've been to all, all those four I just named. I've gotten to go to their um like facility in Torum. And they there's a genuine glee coming out of their eye. Like they're proud. The guy that walked me around Toro, for example, that gave the tour, like he's so proud when he's like, Man, this is how we check the to see the, you know, that this part is gonna be able to endure the heat and like all this stuff that the consumer is never gonna know, like behind the scenes, like they They take so much pride in that. So to correlate that into being a business owner, and we're not providing products, we're providing services, but we have to set the standard with excellence that we are so passionate about providing such an excellent service that we're genuinely excited about it so that other people are going to buy in. Because over time, Kubota, John Deere, Toro, whatever, enough people took enough pride in making an excellent product that it was like a snowball effect of more people bought into that vision. So we have to s- establish that from scratch in our companies and give new, f- new folks a vision of, hey, this is where I'm taking it. This is where I think we're going to be three years from now and, and get them excited about that. So,
0: That's awesome. And uh, getting into, I know in the past year or so, your Instagrams really popped off. And I think this could be valuable to our audience for those, uh, I mean, I've recognized with building uh, certain things, I've, I've started to get leads in my hardscaping business, which is amazing. And I think that, you know, building an Instagram audience can really uh, help foster that and help out hardscape companies beyond just, you know, having an Instagram audience as well. But Paul, how, how have you gone about, you know, really taking your Instagram and uh, blowing it up in a, a short period of time here, it seems, from the outside looking in?
1: Okay, well, we'll start with this as a disclaimer.
0: Eyeballs on social media does not equal profit.
1: And so you have we we only have 24 hours in a day. So if you are gonna be intentional about building your social media, you have to you have to ask yourself, like, well, what what is my goal with this? Like why, why? Like as a business as a business owner, there's got to be a rhyme or reason if you're gonna invest time on these platforms creating. Um, so let me just put that out there. It doesn't matter, you gotta have a whole bunch of uh, Instagram followers, TikTok followers, Facebook followers or friends or whatever. That doesn't correlate to profit. You you get profit by serving a customer and getting revenue, and then minus your expense, you get profit. So so just let me say that. There's a whole bunch of people with big social media followings that aren't making money like you would think they are. With that being said, I had 9,000 Instagram followers in the spring of 2022. I set a goal. There's a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk that's um, really uh, kind of a uh, step ahead of where the attention's at. And so he's talking about, you got to master short form vertical content. You got to master short form vertical content. He cusses a lot, but th- that was the summary of what Gary V was saying. And he's like, you got to be posted three to five times a day, like uh, uh, on like one platform, like three to five TikToks a day. I was like, okay, there's no way I'm going to post three to five times with my schedule right now. Cause I got a lot going on in my life. But I said in the spring of 2022, I said, I'm going to set a goal of publishing one piece of content a day but i can only do one platform because my personality if i try to do stretch too thin i'm not going to be able to get it all done eventually i'm going to lose momentum so i said okay i'm going to pick instagram i'm going to publish one instagram reel a day for 90 days that was my goal i'm not going to evaluate how my performance is how many views i get or likes or whatever they have the metrics How I'm going to measure success is after 90 days did I publish without fail every single day for 90 days. And I set that goal in the spring and I started off with 9,000 followers. So I also studied these algorithms. The way they value if they're going to promote your video is something called watch time or um, audience retention. So there's a graph. Each TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram are very similar. You publish a video. We'll just say it's 15 seconds. So somebody watches that whole video, your watch time is 100%. And if somebody watches that whole video and then like, oh, that was so good, I'm going to watch it again, they watch it two times, your watch retention time is 200%. So they're only going to promote, more than likely they're only going to promote to go viral, a video that gets well over 100% watch time, which means... Somebody has to watch the whole thing, and then they have to watch it over again to some level. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what I started doing was thinking, okay, how can I make a video that's going, someone's going to want to watch the whole thing? And so my first viral video for lawn care that went real viral is, and I didn't even know it was a marijuana plant, but there was, I guess, a marijuana plant, which I didn't even know what it looked like. It was sitting in the yard and it was sticking up like a a hair out of the head. And my friend, Jason Carillo, you can see the mower coming up, coming up, coming up. And then he mows over the marijuana plant, which I didn't even know was a marijuana plant. But I thought it was funny because it's oddly satisfying to watch him mowing and then see if he's going to go over this like plant that's in the middle of the yard. And he does. And so that video popped off and got like 10 or 11 million views. And I was like, wow. And then I started putting out more and more videos, but at my, with each video, I would ask myself, how can I get them to watch this whole video? And so some videos were joking around. We like blew grass on people's houses. Um, we blew grass into the driveway to just to piss people off. Like, of course you're supposed to blow the grass back into the grass, but we would do things just so someone, cause then they'd, uh, they'd engage in the comments like you idiot, like you're supposed to, but so that engagement helps it go viral as well. And the watch time. So I was very intentional with each piece of content. Like, and some days I would just be so doggone tired. I, it wouldn't be a masterpiece. I just put published a video just to hit my goal of publishing ninety in a row. And so I didn't actually do ninety in a row. I probably did like eighty five. I missed a few days uh, when I wasn't feeling well or whatever, but it was close enough. So my my audience went from nine thousand to one hundred and thirteen thousand in by doing that. I had John Deere reach out to me. I had Lowe's Home Improvement reach out to me because when you have over 100,000 followers, you get on the radar of a lot of these companies that are looking for social media influencers and things of that nature. So um, I've learned a lot. So now I'm taking it to the next phase where I'm adding TikTok, I'm adding Facebook Reels, and I'm adding YouTube Shorts, and I'm going to try to publish like I was on Instagram Reels on all four platforms And I hope I don't get burnt out, but I'm going to try to take the success I had on Instagram and, and do the same thing with, again, the focus needs to be on, um, having a good hook at the beginning of the video to cat, to bring them in that first one to two seconds is so important. And then doing something to make them want to watch the whole video. And if you can do that, then you put yourself in position to, to go viral, but also, it's not just about going viral it's about showing up and being consistent as well so um I could I love algorithms and co- social media and content so if you have any other questions I'd be more than happy to talk about this but that that answers your your um question in a nutshell of how I went from 9000 Instagram followers which took me 10 years to build that to in 3 months yeah um 10x in it
0: Do you need a new website, but don't want to eat the upfront cost of having one built for you? Do you want to get to the top of search engine results and start building leads from people searching for your services in your service area? Then check out hardscapewebdesign.com This is built by us and for hardscapers. So we will build you a hardscape website and do what we can to get you on the top of search engine results. Over the years I've built HowToHardscape.com and got this website on the top of search engine results in several hardscape keywords as well as my own local business to ensure that I'm as close to the top of those search engine results as possible. So if you need a new website this year reach out to us hardscapewebdesign.com and see the services that we offer there and the monthly package that we offer as well. Now back to the podcast. Well, I got tons of questions that come from that just that just came up in my head here. I do want to respect your time, though, so I won't ask all of them here, uh, which will maybe someday set us up for a a future episode as well to get you back on the show. But um, in terms of videos that you've seen get more reach, are these typically shorter? Are they longer longer? What kind of audio, because I've seen that with at least um, my reels that gets, you know, a, a very small amount of audience, but uh, that get the most reach on my profile are typically reels that have somebody talking as opposed to uh, music or something like that. And my theory behind that is that when somebody listens to somebody talking, if it starts to resonate from the very beginning, they'll more likely hear that out to the very end. It may not be so much about what they're watching, but more so what what somebody's saying. So uh, my, uh, you know, small reach, but largest reach real was somebody talking. And it was like uh, some quote or famous quote, because I'm sure people want to listen from the start to the very end to hear that quote. What's your experience in that, Paul, in terms of audio and length of real that has typically seen the most reach?
1: Yeah. Um, let me shout out my Instagram coach. So I hired an Instagram coach to consult me. Cause I'm like, I'm at hundred K followers. How do I get to a million? I hired a guy, his name's Hey Dominic. He's on Instagram. He's on YouTube. Um, so I would suggest following him cause he's the Instagram algorithm nerd. The trending sounds are really good. So Hey Dominic, like teaches to have, if you're just starting to have six different content buckets. So try some with trending sounds that are just music try some that are trending sounds that are audio like hey mr george this guy's no good no good operator like those ones are funny or whatever the voice is the problem with the voice ones are you're you're limiting yourself to the english market so i get a ton of views in india and um uh you know all kind of countries that don't speak english because it's oddly satisfying no matter what continent you live on to watch something transform and look better, whether it's mowing grass or, or a time-lapse. If I was in the hardscaping world, oh my gosh, I would be time-lapse in every little job and putting a trending sound because that's oddly satisfying to watch. So, um, but you want to do both. You want to do the trending sound. So you reach the world. You want to do the English will limit you to the English audience, which is huge. Europe, Canada. Uh, USA, but, um, there's an app I use called vidIQ viral. It will show you the top 100 trending sounds and they'll have like arrows up or two arrows up if something's trending up. So you do want to be strategic with what trending sounds you use. Um, and vidIQ viral is a good app to, to see what's trending on TikTok, And then Instagram reels and YouTube shorts and Facebook reels are like a couple weeks or months behind tiktok so it's good to pay attention with what's happening on tiktok because it will eventually kind of work its way into the other platforms as well so that's a really good app to use to find out the trending sound and then do some original ones where there is no trending sound um it's just original content so what i like to do is try all of them Mm -hmm. and then if i see one really popping off then i'm like okay i'm going to do more of what's working and if you go on YouTube um, and you look at a creator that you like, they have, when you're looking at their videos, there's a button that says recently uploaded. And then there's a button that says popular. So I like to research the competition and see what's working well. So type in a creator that's doing well, type on shorts instead of videos, we click their shorts and then click on popular and then see what their most viewed videos are. What were what were they doing? What kind of content were they doing? And then emulate that, do do what the algorithm is promoting. And so I researched the competition as well as I researched my own performance. I actually just did this the other day. I sat on the couch for an hour and I went back to last spring and I started scrolling through. I was like, okay, that video had a lot of views and I'd watch it again. I'm like, okay, I think that's why people like that. Oh, this one does. and And I started noticing trends. So now my next few videos, I'm making the ones that already worked in the past like the trend is your friend so do that one that you what was your video that had the most views mike
0: it was a pablo picasso quote i don't know if you've heard not not an actual pablo picasso quote but somebody saying like uh one day pablo picasso was sitting in a cafe and a girl came up to him and asked her to do a sketch and he did a sketch and asked her for a hundred thousand dollars and blah 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 like that
1: and you had a, a hardscape time lapse to that or Yeah,
0: it was a fire pit being built.
1: Okay, so I'm would i not sure if it was the fire pit that got the audience retention or if it was the Pablo Picasso. So I would make my next two reels, I'd do a reel of the fire pit time-lapse, same one, with a different audio and see if that pops off, or I would do a Pablo Picasso, the same one, with a different um, work in the background, not a fire pit or a different job, and find out why the audience retention was. Another thing my Instagram coach teaches me, YouTube and TikTok have the best attention graph, but in your YouTube analytics, there's a graph that shows you the beginning of the video, you have 100% retention and then it starts to drop off. So you want to look at those graphs and see at what point in this video did the the biggest drop-off take and then go back and watch your video and be like, oh, at the six second mark, I should have, everyone started leaving, I should have switched scenes then or whatever. And so you want to, really study your analytics of the the audience retention because again you want them to watch the whole way through the video and so it doesn't matter necessarily one of my coaches says that 25 to 40 seconds is the secret zone other guys say no you want it to be under like 6 or 7 seconds or whatever but what i say is try them all try some 6 7 second ones try some 25 to 40 second ones on tiktok now they're letting long form. Like I'm watching these, um, tutorials that are like two or three minutes. Um, I make, I make videos on Amazon shoppable. So I watch these Amazon shoppable tutorials that are like three minutes long, teaching you how to make Amazon shoppable videos. And I'll watch the whole three minutes. And then they keep feeding me more and more of those. Cause I watched the whole three minutes and, um, that creator's got a ton of views. So I don't think there's a secret number. I think it's, are they going to watch your whole video is what's more important. So just getting obsessed with making content that people watch the whole way through.
0: Yeah. And that's actually, that was my next question was repurposing. Cause I'd seen a couple recurring themes in your reels. And I was wondering if you were doing that same thing, kind of testing to see what that sweet spot is.
1: <laughs> well, I got to get fresh content. Forgive me guys. I, I'm always like cringing, like, Oh man, that's the eighth time I've published this, uh, uh, the lawn tools, my friend, using these rotary scissors, but it gets a ton of views every time. I'm like, right. oh my gosh, the algorithm doesn't care. But um, my friends are like, come on, Jameson. So, what I'm going to do this spring is I'm going to freshen it all up. So, I have plans to go to Arkansas again, to go to Florida. I'm going to go to diff- collaborate with different creators and make different styles of content. So, I just ran out of um, I, my schedule, Mike, I have so much going on. I mentioned Amazon. I, I'm an Amazon influencer. I make videos. If you guys are shopping on Amazon, when you're going to check out on Amazon, there's videos there. Um, I'm making videos now for Amazon where my videos are showing up on the main page of Amazon. So, like, that thing is a crazy opportunity. Um, so I, my time is going there, making the podcast. You know, I run a business with, uh, People, I pay a lot of money. Like I got so much going on, so it's like I got to make fresh new content. But the content bucket of what I'm making in 2023 is I'm just redoing what made what worked in 2022, which is my rotary scissors, which is uh, mowing tall grass, which is in the hardscape world. Um, time lapses, guys. Like set up your phone on vertical. TikTok, Instagram, YouTube Shorts, Facebook Reels are all vertical. Gary V's shouting right now Facebook Reels, Facebook Reels, Facebook Reels. Like that's where it's at. Facebook Reels. Um, YouTube Shorts is monetizing on February 1st. If, you, if you're in their partner program, like record your work, do a timestamp, put a trending sound, and just throw it up on TikTok, on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook Reels, and just see what happens. Um, I've had so many stories of guys, their life transformed because they hit record. Al Blades, I mentioned. Um, S.B. Mowing is a friend of mine he showed me his um, YouTube studio how much money he made one month and I about fell out of my chair um, and these are guys who just have the taking the time to set up their camera record their work they publish it in the right way on these platforms and um, you have nothing to lose the only investment really because you already have a smartphone I'm assuming the only investment really is time mm. of maybe a tripod You you probably want to definitely want a tripod to set up so um, your time lapses in frame or whatever, but I would encourage everybody, it changed my life. It might sound vain, but going from 9,000 Instagram followers to 113, and you know, everything's growing like all my um social media accounts are um, it shows you like your insights, they're all growing. So, when I say it's changed my life, guys, it's changed my life. So, I would encourage you to um, film what you're already doing, assuming you're already building fire pits or cutting grass, like just film yourself doing it and put it on social media.
0: All right, last question, Paul, cause I've uh, held you up long enough here. I feel I free... love
1: talking about this. So I keep, do too, uh, I, I keep, could talk keep, to you forever on going. this.
0: <laughs> so uh, l- last question, I promise here. Um, with all that being said, is it accomplishing what you want it to accomplish besides growing an Instagram audience? Are you, are you seeing more people come to the Green Industry Podcast? Are you seeing more people, uh, whatever it might be, whatever it, the goal is that you want this to accomplish? And I asked that to kind of more so also relate to, say, a hardscaper with a hardscape business. You know, setting a goal that they want this to accomplish. If this is the route that they want to, and and measuring that, and understanding, you know, is is doing what the effort that it takes to create these Instagram reels actually accomplishing what it is that they want to accomplish.
1: So, back when you first introduced the conversation to social media, I gave the big disclaimer: a large following does not equal profit. Eyeballs. You have to be good at business. Eyeballs don't mean you're making money. So how do you make money with social media? Well, in your traditional lawn care, landscaping, hardscaping business, social proof, if, if your customer, Mrs. Smith, who's more than likely, Facebook is like for people ages 50 to 70. Most customers ages 50 and 70 have money. They're either on Facebook or they're on Instagram. If they get on Instagram and they look at your traditional hardscaping landscaping business and they see all these beautiful videos of all these time lapses and great work you've done and they see a large follower count, like that that builds what's called social proof and they're like wow this is legit if you go to a website that looks sketchy people lose trust they're like that looks sketchy you go to an instagram account with a hundred thousand followers people respect me or you, or whoever has a big following, just because in today's culture, I was I was chatting with a friend yesterday who asked me to help him with their social media, and I, gentleman's in his 50s. I explained to him, I said, sir, when you grew up, I learned this from Gary Vee. I didn't tell him I learned this from Gary Vee. I just, he probably thought it was sophisticated, but I, I took it from Gary Vaynerchuk. But I said, sir, when you grew up, you had NBC, these are television stations in the United States. You had NBC, ABC, CBS and Fox. Those are our four. It might be different in Canada or Europe, but those are our four major stations in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I said, sir, because again, he's in his 50s, and I'm trying to convince him to get on TikTok. I said, sir, today, TikTok has replaced NBC. Instagram has replaced ABC. CBS has been replaced by Facebook, and YouTube Replace them all. They're They're not watching ABC, NBC, whatever. They're watching YouTube they are watching youtube they're watching these so i explained him you you need you need to be on these and so back to the back to the local business and turning a profit it will only help you be able to charge more if you have high quality pictures high quality videos transformations before and afters beefing up your instagram account beefing up your facebook account you when you give that quote to a customer and you have all those um you know, you told them, "Hey, check out our portfolio." And they go to Instagram and they see all these really nice videos and a whole bunch of followers. They're gonna trust you. So that's how you correlate eyeballs into money on social media in your traditional business. One of the ways. Secondly, you can um, make money on these platforms when you hit a certain follower count. Instagram pays me through a program called Reels uh, Play Bonus, so I get paid on Instagram for how many views I get on my video. I get paid on Facebook. It's called Facebook Reels Play Bonus. I get paid on Facebook. The more views I get, the more money I make. It's a drip. It's a drip on Instagram. It's a drip on Facebook. TikTok has their program called the Creator Fund. I The more views I get on TikTok, the more money I make. So I'm making money in my checking account. When my bookkeepers do my books, it literally says TikTok. How much money I made that month on TikTok. Uh, Facebook is, owns, um, Meta owns Facebook and Instagram, but On my line item in my checking account, it still says Facebook. So it's nice to look on my bank account, Facebook, and money coming into my account from Facebook. Even the Instagram shows up as a line item in my checking account as Facebook. YouTube has a program called AdSense, YouTube Partner Program, uh, YPP. Starting February 1st, guys, they're paying for um, uh, your shorts. So you know, on the 19th of every month, or pardon me, 21st, I get mixed up. On 21st of every month, right, they all come in about the same time. My bank account, boom, YouTube, pays me. So you can make money directly on these platforms when you start making more views and, and, and things of that nature. So that's like, that's like supplemental. This is, sounds like a cheesy infomercial, but wait, there's more. Once you start getting more views, then guess who's going to come knocking on your door? Sponsors. They used to pay... A production company to create a commercial, then they would pay ABC, CBS, Fox, or NBC. To, you're watching, we used to have a TV show, you youngsters called Friends, right? It was on, I think, NBC on Thursday nights. So let's say whatever company wants to run a commercial during Friends TV show, they go and they pay 500,000 bucks to the production company to make the commercial. Then they pay millions and millions and millions to NBC to run the commercial and that's how their marketing budget was allocated. Now, these companies have a marketing budget that's allocated for social media. I was in a commercial pushing a little shopping cart at Target. They paid me a boatload of money to do that. And uh, you guys have probably seen me in Lowe's commercials and other companies. They, their, marketing com- their marketing budget is for social media. They're looking not to spend their money as much on the traditional TV but on social media. And so if you can create content for these companies, then they'll pay you. You might say, well, I don't have 100,000 followers like you, Paul. Amazon, for crying out loud, you don't have, you have to have some followers, but I don't know how much for the Amazon program. But that's a whole nother thing. I make money off of Amazon by putting my videos on Amazon, um, like on the page where you go to check out to buy something, my videos pop up. If you watch my video on Amazon, then I get a commission. And so there's so many opportunities out there. It's called the Amazon Influencer Program. Uh, You can look it up. It's incredible. So, and and I could go on and there's more and more and more, but it all starts with starting to publish, starting to get obsessed with your watch time of, of a viewer watching your whole video and then doing that consistently. And if you pay attention to your watch time and purposefully post, videos trying to get someone to watch the whole video and you do that consistently, you will start growing an audience. And when you start growing an audience, the monetization opportunities will start coming up, but the, they call it the creator economy. The creator economy is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's more people. I mentioned outblades and SB mowing and lawn care juggernaut and Phil's lawn care. These guys, you don't have to go the route they're going where they're making YouTube videos, doing, their work and making a boatload of money. There's other ways you can monetize this content, but I have benefited from social media financially in a way that I told Mike off air, how much money I made last year. And I think I saw Mike like, Oh, that's a lot. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot for me. It might not be a lot for you, but you can make money on social media and um, you you might as well try. So,
0: yeah. Paul, this has been Excellent. Uh, lots more questions in my mind, but I did lie. I do have one last question to ask you. It's a very short one, though, and it's a little bit of a right turn. Uh, somebody you meet somebody, a stranger, and they ask you, what do you do? What do you tell them?
1: Um, I say that it, it just depends the setting. Sometimes I say I host the Green Industry podcast. Um, sometimes I say I'm a business consultant. Uh, you know, sometimes I say I'm a content creator it it changes the, the probably the strangest moment i went into the bank um with credit union a few weeks ago and my, my girl sarah used to work there she got a promotion so now she's working at like the main branch uh doing like a she's not a teller anymore she's like a fancy bank something or other at the main the main one and so the new girl came in and um who replaced sarah and i've never seen her before and i could tell she was new because that's where Sarah's little cubicle thing was or not cubicle, but you know, when you go in the bank, how you walk up to the thing. So the new girl's in there and I walk in and I got my money and I, or my check, I, I put it on the thing and, and she sees my name and she looks up at me. She's like, you're Paul Jameson. I was like, yeah. She's like, my husband listens to you. And I was like, yeah. So I was like, "This." it made me feel so good. So I was like, it was, it was a pretty cool moment. Um. So anyway, I, that, that had nothing to do um with your question of, I don't know what I say. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm figuring all this out. Um, and this whole Amazon thing just threw me for a loop. Like I, uh, it's wild. The, 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 the opportunities with social media, with podcasting, with all of this stuff is just, it's just absolutely mind blowing. No other generation, however many thousands of years humans have been on this planet. Guys, you're listening to my sound of my voice right now no other generation has had the opportunities that we have and one thing i do want to say Mike that my coach cuz i've hired consultants i i walk what i talk i i tell people hire coaches and and consultants to teach you what you don't know i've literally hired a sponsorship coach i've hired a youtube coach and i've hired an instagram coach three separate guys i pay them a lot of money and because I want them to teach me how to do this stuff with excellence. And they all tell me the exact same thing, Mike. And I want to tell it to you and to anyone else who's still listening. God bless you if you're still listening to the end of this show. Um, The things they tell me is, Paul, create, don't consume. Create, don't consume. Meaning they say it's a destiny killer if you start scrolling through TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or YouTube. Like, you you can't afford to do that. Uh, Be a scroller. You need to be a creator. And you can't create at the quantity that I'm trying to create if I'm consuming. And so I try, literally, I log in, I make my post, try to get out of there. I log into the other platform, I make my post, and I get out of there like I'm running. Um, Because if I get on there and I start scrolling, now I'm wasting time. So with social media, I would say, don't scroll, uh, create. And then once you create, start watching your previous content and see, man, how why did that one flop? That was boring. That's why. Make another one. Try to make it better and try to try to get that that viewer to watch the whole thing. So um that's that's what I want to leave you with is be a creator, not a consumer when it does come to social media.
0: Excellent way to wrap things up here. Paul, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for going through all that and and dealing with my questions here. Where can our audience go learn more about you? Where do you want to send them to?
1: Yes. Okay. So YouTube is where I'm trying to build my channel. Instagram's popping. TikTok's starting to really pop off. Facebook is popping. All all of those platforms are soaring. But on YouTube, my problem, Mike, was I started a channel in 2011 and 12. And I started making sports content on that channel. I was talking all about my favorite sports teams. And then I just started making like random like vlog like lifestyle vlogs that no one watched but i had fun making them and uh you know just like follow my day then i started making lawn care content and anyway my my youtube coach is like paul your your channel's fragmented you had people that came in from the sports you had people that came in through the the lifestyle vlog you had the lawn bros come in and the the channel's fragmented so basically he's like you have to start a a new channel where you only post lawn care videos from day one lawn care business tip from day one so i started a new channel it's called green industry podcast i only post um business tips tactics you know interview other guys mike you'll be on my channel here and so that channel is called the green industry podcast i started from you know scratch and we're building that thing so um head over to green industry podcast on youtube smash that subscribe button turn the bell on for notifications and, and follow me over there. I'd really appreciate it. I'm trying to get that thing up and up and going. And and I set a goal to hit a silver play this year. So um, I'm going to try to try to get that uh, silver play. But
0: that's a good, uh, excellent goal. And uh, if you got any value from this episode, go check that out. YouTube Green Industry Podcast. Paul, thank you so much for joining us here. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. Once again, go check out Paul at Green Industry Podcast on Instagram. See what he's got going on there, as well as his podcast, Green Industry Podcast. And if you need an accountant, bookkeeper, or CFO services for this coming season, definitely reach out to Cycle CPA at CycleCPA.com or Cycle underscore CPA. Let them know how to Hardscape sent you for $200 off their services there. And if you need a website, then HardscapeWebDesign.com. Get more information there. And we look forward to meeting with you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast.